Welcome to the Arlington Street Church podcast. Founded in 1729, Arlington Street continues today as a gathering place for progressive people of faith in the greater Boston area and beyond. We are located at the corner of Arlington and Boylston Streets, across from the Public Garden in Boston, Massachusetts. Please visit ASCBoston.org for more information about this historic Unitarian Universalist congregation. Arlington Street Church, gathered in love and service for justice and peace. I thank you, God, for most this amazing day, for the leaping greenly spirits of trees and a blue true dream of sky, and for everything which is natural, which is infinite, which is yes, I, who have died, am alive again today, and this is the sun's birthday. This is the birthday of life and love and wings and of the gay, great, happening, illimitably earth. How could tasting, touching, hearing, seeing, breathing, any lifted from the know of all nothing, human merely being, doubt, unimaginable you. Now the ears of my ears awake, and now the eyes of my eyes are opened. American poet and Unitarian E.E. Cummings. Alive again. Who among us has not felt that way after a long illness, long malaise, long grief, when suddenly, somehow, like the earth released from winter, you can feel it Loosen its grip. Who among us has not known a time when we wondered whether our wintry hearts might never thaw? We have felt the deep freeze of unforgivable and unforgiving. We have felt that if somehow the thaw began, our tears might never stop but they do. This is Easter, an Eastering of the soul. If Easter isn't a verb, let's make it one. To Easter, derived from Eastra, goddess associated with spring, to Easter, to live before we die. Life before death. I have three stories of Eastering to share, stories to remind us that it's ours to choose life before death, ours to choose to be spiritually awake, to travel the path of brokenness and brokenheartedness with a broken, open, broken, open heart. After Dr. Jeffrey M. Piler, a thoracic surgeon, was diagnosed with incurable stage four prostate cancer, he decided he'd like to build his own coffin. Most people, he writes, are cremated in a cardboard container of some sort. My ecological conscience argued for recycled cardboard, yet that implied that my ashes would spend eternity blended with the powdered remains of ice cream containers, first drafts, and pizza boxes. 
I'm sure one could do worse, but why not opt for a more elemental final mix, me and wonderful old wood? Jeff Pyler's friend, Peter Warren, agreed to help, and so they set out to create both a celebration of Jeff Pyler's life and an acceptance of his death. He writes, Peter's and my growing closeness as friends mirrored the process of preparing the wood. We each spoke of what we wanted to accomplish with our remaining lives and what we regretted in our past. The coffin slowly took on its recognizable shape, prompting me to speak of my fears of death and of leaving my family behind. We made t-shirts that read, I'm dying to show you my latest project. <laughs> Though even the most joyous laughter often merged with tearful embrace. Finally, everything was hand sanded and sealed with a natural finish. We'd made a stunningly beautiful pine box and a stunningly beautiful friendship. But we knew that neither could last and that this was the very reason to celebrate. Jeffrey Pyler concludes, the project has smoothed the rough edges of my thoughts. It's pretty much impossible to feel anger at someone for driving too slowly when you've just come from building your own coffin. <laughs> Coveting material objects, holding on to old grudges, failing to pause and see the grace in strangers. All equally foolish. While the coffin is indeed a reminder of all that awaits us, its true message is to live every moment to its greatest potential. I thank you, God, for most this amazing day, for the leaping greenly spirits of trees and a blue true dream of sky, and for everything which is natural, which is infinite, which is yes. This is Eastering life before death. Dr. Bill Thomas was 31 years old when he took the job as medical director of Chase Memorial Nursing Home in New Berlin, New York. Out of 80 elderly residents, 50% were physically disabled, 80% were cognitively impaired. The nursing home was depressing. Bill Thomas found the despair unacceptable. At first, he tried to fix it by examining every patient, ordering tests and scans, and adjusting their meds. That wasn't it. And then he decided to try something so mad and naive and brilliant that he somehow got the staff and the residents to go along with him. A little background. Bill Thomas's father was a factory worker. His mother was a telephone operator. Neither had gone to college. Bill was a terrible student with miserable grades. No one had him in their sights for anything like success. Later, it came out that he was reading everything he could get his hands on and actually taught himself trigonometry so he could build a boat, which he did. Today, he'd be diagnosed with oppositional defiant disorder. 
In the 1970s, he was just another kid whose name was Trouble. Two chance encounters changed everything. I love that in Bill's story, the reminder that at any time, unsuspecting, any one of us could be the agent of that kind of chance encounter. His got him first to college and then to Harvard Medical School. He went into emergency medicine, but the ER hours were draining, and he'd also become a husband and a farmer and a father of five. Regular hours looked good. So Bill set out to attack what he calls the three plagues of nursing home existence, boredom, loneliness, and helplessness. It needed life, he said. He wanted plants and animals in every room. Yes, animals, live animals in patients' rooms. Somehow, in something like a comedy routine, he got it past the director of nursing, the activities director, and the social worker. He wanted two cats and a dog on each of two floors, and he felt that the atmosphere of the nursing home would be immeasurably improved by birdsong. Specifically, he proposed, get ready for it, 100 songbirds. 100 birds, said the nursing director. You have to be out of your mind. Have you ever lived in a house that has two dogs, four cats, and a hundred birds? No, answered Bill dreamily. But wouldn't it be lovely? All the animals arrived, more or less, at once. The dogs, the cats, and then a delivery truck with 100 parakeets, but no bird cages. The driver released them into the beauty salon, shut the door, and drove away. <laughs> it was total pandemonium, says Bill Thomas, relishing the memory. He calls it the Big Bang. The cages did arrive later that day, but unassembled. Everyone pitched in to help, chasing parakeets through a cloud of feathers. The residents watched through the windows of the salon, laughing. And at the end of the day, a bird was delivered to every room. A bird and a plant in every room, cats and a dog wandering each floor. And literally overnight, the residents began to wake up and the lights turned back on in people's eyes. People whom we believed weren't able to speak started speaking, says Bill Thomas. They were talking to the animals. People who had been completely withdrawn, whom we'd never see walk, started coming into the nurse's station and saying, I'll take the dog for a walk. Eventually, Chase Memorial Nursing Home added to its menagerie a colony of rabbits, a flock of laying hens, and children who came for on-site childcare for the staff and an after-school program. Eventually, in addition to the hundreds of indoor plants, there were thriving vegetable and flower gardens outside. And in a study of this wild, wild experiment, prescriptions required per resident fell to 50% and total drug costs fell to 38% of those in a control nursing home, with the biggest decrease being in medita medications for agitation. 
the residents had come back to life. I who have died am alive again today. And this is the son's birthday. This is the birthday of life and love and wings and of the gay, great, happening, illimitably, earth. This is Eastering, alive again, life before death. One last story, just four sentences. In October of 2005, at the final meeting of the Alcoholics Anonymous Roundup in Provincetown, the gratitude meeting. A young woman raised her hand to say that three years ago, her girlfriend had been killed by a drunk driver. For three years now, she had lived day in and day out with rage and hatred and unremitting grief over that senseless tragedy. But suddenly, somehow, during the Roundup weekend, she had begun to find it in herself to forgive the driver. And then she paused and said, I was the driver. And so we begin again and again, alive again in spite of our selfishness and greed, alive again in spite of our disappointment and anger, alive again in spite of our hardened hearts and our faithlessness, alive again in spite of our delusion that we are somehow separate from everyone and everything else. This is Eastering. Jesus said, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Beloved spiritual companions, who among us has not known a time when we wondered whether our wintry hearts might never thaw? May our hearts be broken open, broken and open. This day, this moment, is precious and fleeting. This is why we celebrate. Let us choose Eastering. Life before death, life, and life abundant. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. We would love to hear from you via email at office at ASCBoston.org or through our Facebook page. If you would like to support the good work of Arlington Street Church, please consider a contribution by checking the mail or through our website, ASCBoston.org.